Welcome to the Faith Assembly Podcast. We hope you enjoy this week's message. Today we are here to celebrate Mother's Day and to really be able to recognize the mom that brought us into the world, as well as the incredible women in our lives who have helped to raise us, to shape us, to mold us, to model for us what it means to be a mom, to be a follower of Jesus. And I don't know about you, but in my life there have been many women. I've been blessed with an amazing mom, an amazing grandma, another amazing grandma, a mom that when I married Jamie became my own. Happy Mother's Day, mom. And also throughout my time and growing up, there have been other amazing women who have invested in my life. Some of them were not moms in their own accord, but they were moms to me. They led me, they gave me wisdom and insight and, and spoke into my life at many times. And today, that's what we're doing is we're recognizing incredible moms. And to do that, I want to look at the biblical precedent for motherhood here today. I want to look at some stories and examples of what it means to be a mom on a much deeper level than just what we talk about ordinarily on Mother's Day. I want to look at and ask this question, what is motherhood? And I think it's a really important question, and don't worry, I'm not going to try to redefine motherhood here today. I'm not confused on what it means to be a mom or what it means to be a woman. We're we're pretty, you know, steadfast on, on that here today. But I do believe that when we look at the biblical example and the definition of motherhood, we see that it speaks to God's design, an incredible miracle that, that he created when he made woman. So we're going to go back to Genesis to start off, and we look at this story of creation where it says that God creates everything and then he creates man. And when we see this biblical story of creation, I remember during Jamie and, and my wedding, we were there and, and Jamie's childhood pastor, Pastor Sywick, an incredible man of God, and he, he was telling this story of creation, and he said, with everything else that God created, he said, it was good. He created the light, he created the sun, the stars, the moon, the animals, the, the, the water, he separated everything, and he said it was good. But when he looked at man, he said, it is not good for man to be alone. Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper that would be fit for him. You see, God knew that man by himself would not be able to adequately fulfill all that God had called man and mankind to accomplish. That man by himself would not be able to fill the earth and to subdue it. And so... He needs to step in, and it's very interesting to me what God does next. Because if we were to go back at this moment, if somehow we were able to go back in time and to ask Adam what he thought that he needed in that moment, who knows that he would have not said woman. He didn't know what a woman was. It was the only time in history where it was okay to not be able to define what is a woman. If you would have asked Adam what he needed in that moment, he probably would have said, I don't know, power tools, at least a hammer, maybe a pair of shorts, I don't know. He might have said another man, because that's all that he knew. 
If God would have asked Adam what he needed and what he wanted out of his own understanding, out of his own emotion, out of his own feeling, he would have asked for something that that was outside of God's plan. The great thing about God, though, is that God doesn't ask Adam what he wanted. He doesn't say, Adam, what do you think that you need? I think it's important for us to recognize that in the places sometimes where we think we know what we need, God knows so much better than we ever could. In the places where we think that we know what the next step should look like, God knows so much better than we could ever know on our own. So God doesn't ask Adam. He creates a woman. He creates the woman that he would need to be able to fulfill all that God had for mankind. You see, if Adam would have got more of what he wanted or knew of or understood, there would have been no life that could have come from it. If man only would have received another man, simple biology lesson here today, the population of the world would be two and no more. Simple truth, right? Sometimes pretty hard for everybody else to jump on board with this simple math. But instead of God bringing Adam what he thinks he needs, he brings him something that is nothing short of a miracle. He takes from Adam a rib, and from this rib he creates not just another human, but another human who would be in some ways the same, but in many ways uniquely and amazingly different. To take another who would be a human being, but would bring forth attributes and strengths and qualities that would be nothing short of miraculous because God knew that for his design, for his purpose on earth to be fulfilled, he needed to create a woman with all of the beauty and the complexity with all of the strengths and the giftings and and all that we know to be true of what God created. And most importantly, he knew that this union between man and woman would bring forth life. And that is always God's design, is to bring forth life. And it was the only union that could bring forth life. You see, God knew better than Adam, and in his infinite wisdom, we see the story of creation And God's design for humanity is incomplete without the creation of woman. And as this story continues, we see that Eve gives birth to the children who would go on to populate the earth. I want to look at another example here today, because as we continue through this narrative and through this story of Genesis, we find this man named Abraham and his wife named Sarah, originally Abram and Sarai. We see that God calls them out of the land of Ur, of the Chaldeans. He calls them out of this place, which was a great step of faith. And sometimes we only attribute that to Abraham. But guess what? He wasn't alone. For any husband in this room, you know that if you're going to go someplace, it's really a good idea to have your wife on board, right? Sarah also was taking this great step of faith with Abraham to leave the place that they had known and to go into the unknown. We know the promise that God gives to Abraham and to Sarah, even though they were at old age and they were unable to have kids 
in their own strength and ability. And we see that through fits of laughter and seemingly unbelief that God brings the results. He brings the answer that only he could through the faith of Sarah. Sometimes we don't look at the faith of Sarah, though. We look at Abraham, the father of faith, the one who walked in faith, who God saw his faith, and because he believed, he counted it to him as righteousness. But who knows that Sarah walked in great faith as well? You don't believe me? Hebrews chapter 11, verse 11. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive since she considered himself faithful who had made that promise. You see, Sarah, even in the places of doubt, even in the places of maybe confusion and I'm sure pain and hurt as she waited her whole life to be able to give birth, continued to believe that what God had said was the truth. She had great faith, so much so that Hebrews 11, the the chapter of the heroes of our faith, speaks to her great faith. But I wonder, at times in their relationship, there are things that are not recorded in the scriptures, where Sarah was the one who was encouraging Abraham in the places where he may have questioned, and he may have doubted. Once again, for the husbands in the room, I don't know if this is just unique to my marriage, but often when I lay down to go to sleep, that's where the conversation begins. Anybody else? A few, a few brave men will raise their hands. Conversation begins at that point in time, and, and often in those points, if I'm vulnerable and honest, I will share with my wife the places where I'm questioning a little bit, where there's difficulty, where there is places where I just don't have the answers, and, and Jamie will be the one to say, but Sam, what did God say about it? What is, the, what is the word that he has spoken? What is the, the thing that he has promised to us? And it's through the faith of, of Sarah, I believe, that many times that Abraham would have been encouraged through her great faith as well. Today I want to make this point that there may be times in our lives as we see with Sarah that there might be doubt that is present. There might be questions that we have when we are pursuing God and wanting to believe in His truth. But yet there is a faith that when it exists inside of us, that God sees that faith and He will use it to accomplish more than what we can see in our natural ability. That God will use even the places of doubt and questioning to strengthen us, to be able to believe for what He is going to do and to prepare us for what comes next. I believe Sarah was an amazing example of that. We continue through uh, into the book of Exodus and we see the story of Moses. We know Moses as the leader who leads the people of Israel out of Egypt, crosses the Red Sea, walks in great faith. And yet, the beginning of this story never could have happened if it wasn't for the faith of his mom, of Jochebed, who when there was a decree that was given by Pharaoh to kill all of the children, defied the most powerful government on the earth, defied the mandate and said, no, I will not obey what you are saying, but I will preserve and I will protect the life that God has given me to protect. 
She stands in great faith and she defies the orders and hides Moses away. And then the miraculous comes where this baby Moses is placed in a stream. It's picked up by Pharaoh's daughter or by the servant. And, and then Pharaoh is actually raising Moses in his own household. But it all starts with the faith of a woman who says, I am not going to listen to man. I'm not going to listen to the rulers even. I'm going to trust in what God has said. And because of that, God is able to bring a miraculous answer. It was incredible faith. We continue to look in the Old Testament. We look in the book of Joshua. And we find the story of a woman by the name of Rahab. Rahab is given the distinction of being a prostitute. Living amongst the enemies of God. Living in a walled, fortified city that was meant to be an inheritance for the children of Israel. And yet she's in the enemy's camp. She's in the enemy's city. And yet this one woman, amidst all of the people in her city, is the one woman who invites the spies from Israel into her house. She's the one that gives them safe haven. She's the one that allows them to escape and misdirect the officials and those who are searching for the Israelites in Jericho. It's this woman who walks in great faith and is also mentioned in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 31, where it says, By faith, Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. See, Rahab, despite her past, despite her present circumstances, despite the fact that she was an enemy living in the enemy territory, did not allow those things to pull her away from the plan that God had for her life. And this story by itself is pretty incredible. And then we read the genealogy found in Matthew chapter 1, and we see that God does more with her life than maybe we even realize just from reading this story in in the book of Joshua. It says in Matthew 1 that Salmon and Rahab were the father and mother of Boaz. Boaz and Ruth were the father and mother of Obed, and Obed was the father of Jesse, and Jesse was the father of King David. Do you see that this prostitute living in a foreign land, the one who was faithful to obey God and to stand against what her country was saying, was the very one who would become the great-grandmother of King David? Isn't that incredible? And so I ask you today once again to tell me how your past disqualifies you from becoming who God has created you to become. God uses Rahab to become the grandmother of King David. But we also know that it doesn't stop there because eventually and almost unbelievably, at least from a human perspective, Rahab is part of the lineage of Jesus Christ Himself. How amazing. By faith, by faith we see that Sarah was able to conceive. By faith we see that Jochebed was willing to to do something that was against what the government was saying. By faith we see that Rahab was willing to stand up and we see the results that God brings out of their lives. We continue on and, and we see this young woman named Esther Did you know that Esther was also a descendant of Rahab? Also a descendant 
of Sarah. Isn't that amazing? That Esther stands for her nation when Mordecai is, is speaking to her and, and we see Haman and we see the, the plot to kill the Israelites. And yet Esther stands and she comes before the king and, and she walks in great faith and her whole nation is saved because of it. Do we see this, this lineage of faith that is passed down from generation to generation? You see, today I just want to step into this for one moment because I believe a huge element of being a mom, whether you are a mom on paper, so to speak, or not, is that you have a faith that exists in your life that is meant to be passed down through the generations. That when you choose to step into faith, regardless of the circumstances that you face, what you are doing is you are investing in the next generation and the next generation, whether you see it or not. Remember what Paul says to Timothy in 2 Timothy 1. I want you to remember what happened. And I want you to remember the hands that were laid on you and the faith that was passed down to you from Lois and Eunice. I want you to remember the inheritance that you have of faith through your mother and through your grandmother. The faith that you walk in today is not just for you. But it is also for the next generation and maybe even for generations that you'll never see. I want to continue here today and we look at Proverbs chapter 31. You see, Proverbs 31 is known as the, the chapter speaking about the virtuous woman. And Proverbs 31 starts in verses 1 and 2, and it speaks about a king named Lemuel. Now, the truth is that we don't really know if Lemuel was a completely separate king because we know that the book of Proverbs was written by Solomon or if Lemuel actually refers to Solomon himself. But regardless, we see these words that his mother speaks to him. And I think that these words resonate here today. And there's a couple of things that are, that are interesting. Proverbs 31 verses 1 and 2, the words of King Lemuel, an oracle that his mother taught him. What are you doing, my son? What are you doing, son of my womb? What are you doing, son of my vows? When I read these verses, the words that stand out to me are, what are you doing? I think as a mom, you probably have asked that question a few times. What are you doing? I don't know if that's the, the, the tone and the tenor of what is being said here, but I know I've heard that a few times. What are you doing? What are you doing? But she then says, son of my womb and son of my vows. See, it's interesting to me that she uses these words specifically, son of my womb, which is pretty clear, but also son of my vows. You see, this simply can mean the son that I have prayed, or the, the son that I have prayed for and believed for, the vows that I have made to God as we remember the, as Samuel and his mother and is at the, the temple and she's praying and believing for a son. It could be those vows, but I also believe that there is something in this that is worth paying attention to. That to be a mother in someone's life does not mean that you have to be the one who has given birth to them. To be a mother in someone's life does not mean that you have to be the one who has physically given them birth and given them life, because to be a mother means that you are one that stands around someone else, invests in their life, it prays for them, believes for them, intercedes for them. You see, to be a mom is not exclusively about giving birth. It's about stepping into God's design 
for your life as a woman. Because I, I truly believe that God will use you in so many ways. Yes, for your own children, for your own grandchildren. Maybe you've never had children to be able to invest in the life of so many others. Once again, I have those mothers in my life that have not been my actual mom, but they've often said, Sam, what are you doing? I, will, I remember one specific example in my life where I was making a really important decision, or at least I was about to, and this mom in my life came up and said, Sam, I don't know about that. What are you doing? And I listened, and I paid attention, and God spoke through her. And the end result was that I made a much better decision than the decision that I was going to make in that moment. You see, the attributes of motherhood are God-given. They're very much in the genetic makeup of what a woman is. They're not brought on by coincidence. They were intentionally designed by a perfect father and a creator. So when we read Proverbs 31 and we continue to read through, and we're not going to read through every verse today, we see that there are values that are spoken about what a mom, what a wife, and what a woman is actually meant to be. But these values are not the values that are always received very well from the world that we live in right now. I want to read verses 25 through 28. Verse 25 says, Strength and dignity are her clothing, and she laughs at the time to come. She opens her mouth with wisdom, and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. She looks well to the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children rise up and they call her blessed, her husband also, and he praises her. So the, these are some of the attributes of, of what it is to be a godly and a virtuous woman. But as I said, often these are the values that are not upheld in the world around us. You see, strength is celebrated but dignity is often in short supply. Living in the moment is recognized as wisdom, but being spiritually grounded and prepared for the future is not often looked at as being necessary. Wisdom is still desired, but unfortunately it's often the wisdom of this world and not the wisdom of God. Being one who values family is looked at as an old-fashioned idea. But while these values may not be upheld in the world, I need to say something quite clear, and I want it to become clear through the stories that we've looked at leading to this point and to the words that are being spoken in Proverbs 31. It's that the church cannot be called the bride of Christ without the full expression of spiritual motherhood. That the body of Christ, in order to fully operate in who we have been called to be as a church and as a representation of Jesus cannot fully operate in this identity without the understanding of what spiritual motherhood, of what being a virtuous woman, about what being a woman made in the image of God actually looks like and means. See, this is what we have to walk in. But it's not just that the body of Christ depends on this. It's that the culture that we live in the world that we live in needs the expression and the full expression of what a woman really is in order to be able to understand the identity and to come back to the saving knowledge of Jesus. But it's because of this that 
this definition of what a woman is is under attack now. It's because the enemy understands the significance and the value of what it means to be a woman. The enemy understands the miracle that it was when God gave to Adam the person of Eve with all of the strengths and abilities and and unique things that made a woman what a woman was. The enemy knows this. He's fully aware of this. And because of this, the enemy wishes to do nothing less than to dilute, to distort, and to create a counterfeit for what it is to be a woman. But when we look at the world around us, sometimes we're surprised, and maybe sometimes we shouldn't be, to see the name of mother replaced by a birthing person. Has a nice ring to it, right? Birthing person. Happy birthing person day. Nobody better cut that that segment out, okay? I don't know if we should actually be surprised to find celebrations of men who are giving birth to children. Men have as much ability to give birth to children as Big Bird does to be able to lay an egg. Like, it it doesn't work. It's not possible. We probably shouldn't be surprised when we see this current presidential administration, the highest representation of authority in our nation, actively and intentionally placing men, I don't want to say disguised as women, but representing themselves as women in places of authority, whether they're qualified or not, and then celebrating it as a great act and a step forward for being a woman. When we see USA Today nominate someone for Woman of the Year whose real name is Richard. When we see the NCAA name one of their Women Athletes of the Year a man who is competing against women and demolishing them in sports because he's a man. It shouldn't be a surprise that we see all of these things But we recognize that the enemy has a plan in all of this. To devalue, to distort, and to create a counterfeit for what a woman actually is because he knows that there is great value and strength in being a woman. Even a few years ago, we would have looked at something like this and said, this is... This is a satire. This isn't real. The things that we're seeing in the world around us, this isn't actual life. Like, what's going on? But this is the enemy when he is given the foothold, when he is given the opportunity, when a nation turns its back on God, when a nation founded on biblical truths walks away from those truths and questions them, then it opens up the door for any and all manner of evil distortion, and demonic deception to take place. You see, we have to be aware of these things, but I also want us to be aware here today that because this is a day of celebration, I don't want to just stop here in the place of what the enemy's doing. Because I believe that we as the church and the body of Christ are not meant to glorify what the enemy is doing, but to celebrate what God has done. 
to celebrate motherhood here today. This is a day that we celebrate what is true and honorable and beautiful about motherhood. And in truth, the only real way to ever combat a false narrative is to do so by replacing it with what is true. The best way to recognize what is counterfeit is by holding what is authentic. And the only way to truly disperse darkness is to stand in the light. Our responsibility as the church, our responsibility as men and women in the kingdom of heaven is to make sure that we so celebrate, embrace, uphold, and honor God's design that the standard becomes so clear that it becomes impossible for anyone else to ever embrace the lie of the enemy. For every woman that is here in this room, I am here this morning to celebrate who you are and the truth of who God has made you to be. Uniquely gifted. Uniquely designed. Created by a God who knows more than we ever could. You see, we today in this room, we need to celebrate, we need to encourage, we need to allow women to walk in this identity with great intentionality and a clear understanding of who it is that you are meant to be. To be one who brings life to those around you. To be one who pursues wisdom. To be one who walks in great faith like Sarah. To be one who takes bold risks like Rahab. To be one who stands for what is right, no matter the consequences, like Jochebed. To be the one who is used by God, no matter how unworthy you might feel, no matter what your past may look like, like Rahab, or no matter the places of uncertainty, like Esther standing before the king. You are called as a woman to walk in your God-given identity, to embrace what God has for you, and to know that you are investing not just for now, but for future generations, for our church for our community, and for our nation. That is who God has called you to be. But in order for us to fully do this, we have to recognize that we have a responsibility both as women and also as men. For the men in this room, whether you're a husband, a son, a brother, a brother in Christ, we have to recognize that we have a responsibility in this. I'll never forget sitting down with my father-in-law to ask for my wife's hand in marriage. Once we got the restaurants figured out, sat down and he asked me a question. He said, I have one question for you. What is it that you're called to do as a husband? And I thought about it for a second and I kind of came up with the best spiritual answer that I could think of. It was all biblically based, but it wasn't the answer he was looking for. In asking that question, he was referring back to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church, and he gave himself up for her. See, this is the standard of what it means to love our wives to be willing to lay down our very lives for them, which in a heroic way sounds like jumping in front of a bullet. 
But for any of us who are married for any length of time, we realize that this is not just a one-time self-sacrificial thing that we do, but it's a daily act of laying our lives down. Sometimes I have a tough time laying down the dishes in the dishwasher or laying down my clothes in the proper location. When Paul says to lay down our lives like Christ loved the church, this is what we are called to do as husbands, to build up the women in our lives, to build up our wives, to recognize the call of God on their lives, to not diminish it, to not shortchange them, to not question what the God is doing in them, to not question what God is speaking to them, but to build them up and embrace what God is doing through their lives, through their understanding, through their spiritual giftings. Because God has created women with a unique set of skills, abilities, with the ability to comfort, with the ability to love, with the ability to lead, with the ability to build up. This is what we as husbands need to stand on. It's what we need to embrace and it's what we need to celebrate. And not just on Mother's Day, not just on Valentine's Day, not just on their birthday, but the other 49 weeks of the year. For brothers and sons and brothers in Christ, there is a responsibility to show the females in our lives what it is to be loved, respected, and honored. For those who are dating and in relationships, it's your responsibility to uphold the standard that God has to protect those, to protect the women in our lives, to protect those we're in relationship with, and to not violate those places. For men, we are called to be the representation of who Jesus was to the church, but to every woman that we come into contact with. We are called to be those that would respect women with our eyes, with our thoughts, with our actions, and with our words. It's a high standard, but it's the standard that Jesus has set for us. It's our responsibility as brothers in Christ to hold ourselves accountable to the example of Jesus. It's our responsibility as fathers to invest in our daughters, to show them what it looks like to be a woman, to show them what it looks like to be treated as a woman, to be treated with love and respect. We men have a really important responsibility in all of this. And I would say for brothers, be nice to your sisters. Someone needed to tell me that a few more times. Sam, what are you doing? For women here today, whether you're a mother in regard to having physically had a child you have a great responsibility. We see many women in the Bible that it's not told to us whether or not they were a mother of children, but we know that Christ set them apart to be mothers to the church and to the body of Christ. To walk in the God-given design to be one who nurtures, cares for, and equips. We all have a responsibility in this to celebrate the truth of what God has said and what He has spoken and to not give in to the diminished identity that the world has. Ultimately today, this is the point. We need women, we need mothers to encourage, to raise up other women who would walk in these values and to truly show the world what the incredible beauty and the identity of being a woman is in the image of God. See, the world is waiting for the church, for the body of Christ to become who they were meant to be. Romans 8.19 says, For the creation awaits with eager longing the revealing of the sons of God. 
Can I tell you that when you look at this word in the Greek, it doesn't just mean sons. That when we read Galatians chapter 3, 28, Paul says, There is neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor free, neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. This means that the creation is waiting with eager longing for the revealing of the sons and the daughters of God to step into their rightful place, to become who they've been created to be. This means that creation is waiting on all of us. We are called to be the ones who set the standard and show the world what it is to walk in the fullness of who God has called us to be. So today, once again, we celebrate you as moms. We celebrate who you are, what you've done. Moms, future moms, spiritual moms, grandmoms, any other moms that we can fit in there as long as you meet the other criteria that we spoke about earlier. We love you today. 